Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 235, John Jones versus Anthony Smith. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in Vegas, the first title fight pay-per-view of 2019. This is a great card. John Jones, arguably, well, he's the greatest of all time. I mean, he's pretty much proven that at this point. And Anthony Smith, this guy was one, at one point in his career, he was five and six as a fighter. At one point in time, when you brought up the name Anthony Smith, <laughs> he was considered a bum, a jobber, you know. Uh, let's not forget those Braganetto losses and those strike force losses as well. And, I mean, the fact that this guy, you know, kept his head down and the fact that he worked his way to a title shot is uh, pretty remarkable. And in that co-main event, T. Wood, he's trying to prove that he's the greatest welterweight of all time. And Usman, he's got a good resume. Uh, and now he's finally getting his title shot. Yeah, when you talk about a guy like Anthony Smith, I mean, he's overcome so many different stages of his career from being a sub-500 fighter to being a 500 fighter to even getting a chance to fight in the UFC, let alone going on a win streak, earning a title shot against the greatest of all time, John Jones. Talk about a career turnaround for Anthony Smith. 100%. The odds are always against him. He's always coming from behind in these fights, and He's very exciting. He puts guys down, especially since he moved up to 205. It seems like everything's clicked for him, and uh, these fights have been pretty easy money. The last one uh, got to finish as well against the number two guy in the world, and now he gets his shot at the GOAT. And John, what more do we need to say? I mean, this guy goes out there and handles business every single time. So Exactly. And when you talk about a guy like Tyron T. Wood Woodley, you know, officially this is going to be his fourth title defense, but between you and me, it's his fifth because we all know he beat Wonderboy that first time. But now that he's taking on a guy like Kamaru Usman, if he gets a win here, we're talking about T. Wood in the same sentence as some of the all-time greats like GSP who had many title defenses. Matt Hughes had many title defenses. Tyron Woodley gets his fourth or fifth, depending how you look at it. He's right up there in that conversation. Seems like he's always had a reputation of being a whiner. And now seems like ever since he beat Till, the fans are starting to appreciate him a little bit more or start to appreciate the performances that he's been putting on. And he kind of deserves it, man. After that Till fight, Till was the big hype job coming in and he put him down and he treated him accordingly. So T-Wood, if he gets his fight, he can start saying that... Uh, you know, you can start putting him in the categories close to a GSP and Matt Hughes. Uh, speaking of Matt Hughes, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> but uh, you know, Matt Hughes was never my friend. <laughs> I was never a Matt Hughes fan, but uh, props to T. Wood, man, and Kamaru Usman. This guy's been calling for a shot a long time now. Do I agree with him getting the title shot? No, but you can't deny this guy's resume. He's never lost in the UFC. He's beat some good prospects like Leon Strickland. Rafael Dos Anjos, Worley. Uh, I mean, the guy's got a good resume. He definitely earned his title shot as well. Yeah, no questions asked. And what's interesting about that Darren Till fight, I mean, part of the reason people have so much more respect for Woodley now is because they had an issue with a lot of those fights going the distance. He likes to, you know, his style he likes to back himself into the fence, wait for that big right hand, and then wait for his opportunity to bomb. But against Till, he went after him from the bell. You know, Till came out with that interview talking about how he uh, abandoned his daughter. He doesn't give a shit about anything. Well, dude, you abandoned your daughter to land zero strikes in a title fight, my man. I mean, that's how good Woodley is. He's making elite strikers, quote-unquote, look like uh, novice strikers. And now he's taking on the Nigerian nightmare. I cannot wait. Well, Shaq, let's do this whole card start to finish, my man, because first up, <laughs> so they're starting us off, you know, they're kind of easing us into it with so these first two fights, it. but it's, be it. it's, be it's better to put them on here than <laughs> later on on the card, you know what I'm saying? Because first up in the strawweight division, we got the girlfriend of Tiago Maheda Santos, so don't watch out what you say about this girl. We got Pollyanna Vienna, she's 10-2, and two, and she's taking on Hannah Siffers, who is 8-3, and three. and currently they got Pollyanna Vienna, minus 265, the comeback on Hannah Siffers is plus 225. 
Well, Shaq, I know you saw the news headline that came out with Pollyanna Vienna beating up that mugger in Brazil. This guy tried to rob her, and uh, he was left in shambles. And, you know, you get the UFC a nice headline, and they'll give you a winnable fight. Uh, you think that's what's going to happen here? Pollyanna, like we said, Tiago Mejeda, uh, Tiago Mejeda's girlfriend, so, you know, definitely... Uh Stay in line. <laughs> <laughs> Watch what you say. <laughs> Stay in line. But uh, Pollyanna, you know, she's a very good jiu-jitsu player. Uh, she, I think she's a purple belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu champion. Hannah Cypher, she's a nice girl. She's tough. She's got a decent clinch, decent uh, top game. But I feel like she's really hasn't really beaten anybody. I feel like uh, she's a little bit too nice. I think Pollyanna's going to be able to... I feel like the stand-up will probably be a little bit close. Pollyanna definitely does leave her chin up a little bit. But... Uh, Along the lines, I do think she'll get this to the mat, whether it be a head and arm throw or even if she pulls guard and gets an arm bar from bottom. So I definitely see Pollyanna winning this fight. You give the UFC a news headline and they'll give you an easy fight. I think that Pollyanna Vienna is probably going to take the back of Hannah Cyphers at some point in this contest and choke her out. I know Pollyanna stand-up ain't the best, but she's not fighting someone like J.J. Aldrich who can capitalize this time. For, so for that reason, I will go with the big favorite, Pollyanna Vienna here. And uh, her and my head are going to have a nice celebration afterwards. Now, next Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Gina Mazzani. She's 5-2, and two, and Macy Chiasson is 3-0. and oh. Now, Shaq, listen to this. Currently, the 3-0 and oh fighter, Macy Chiasson, is minus 500. And the comeback on uh, Gina Mazzani is plus 400. So I got to know, man, do you think this line is justified? It's an interesting matchup because Gina Mazzani, she's coming in with the 1-2 and two record. The losses to Sarah McMahon and Lena Landsberg, girls who are upwards of 35 years old and you know those are just bad style, style matchups for her. and a combination of the fact that gina is from the alaskan fighting scene it is very low level she came in at 4-0 she had to catch up and she's still in the process of doing that and uh you know lena landsberg that loss i mean lena's a, a clinch expert and she got tied up it really wasn't necessarily that she got wobbled or outclassed or anything she just got controlled against the fence and uh that's what chazan's gonna be looking to do here as well chazan 3-0, and very green. The only thing Chazan has going for is her size. She's very big. She just won the Ultimate Fighter at 145 pounds. Now she's dropping at 35 pounds. I'm interested to see how that weight cut is. But just as far as how they match up, firstly, Macy Chazan is very, very, very green. Now, if they're lighting her this high, just banking on Mazzani not winning and a combination of the fact that Mazzani's also 3-2 and two and the size of Chazan. I'll say Chazan's one of the biggest 35s in that division for sure. But her game plan really is just to wrestle, tie up, and she's good at that. Gina struggled with that in the past, so therefore I will pick Chazan. Uh, Gina's also a wrestler as well, so we'll see uh, how she does stuff in the takedowns this time. But she's had trouble in the past. If she can, I definitely think she can capitalize on the feet. But seems like Chazon's going to be really hell-bent on getting this takedown. I think she will in probably two of the rounds. But I definitely think this could be line like one of those typical, uh, you know, you know, close female fights, man. Uh, <laughs> minus 500 means that this chick's a lock. And she might go out there and play like like she did get a finish in that fight as well. She did end up dropping, uh, what's her name, Kianzad and choking her out. So, I mean, she, she looked better in that second round. The first round was definitely a little... Ugly, definitely a little green, but I'm going to go with Chazon by close decision, but I definitely think this could be lying closer to actually like minus 200 or so. As I'll just put it this way. When I heard about the matchup, I was just thinking, look, it's going to be another uh, split decision female fight. And then I see it's minus 500 for Macy Chiazon. So then I looked her up naturally. I was like, oh, minus 500. She's going to come out here and run through her. I watched that tape. I watched her UFC debut. 
That was some of the ugliest shit I've ever seen in my life, Shaq. I mean, that striking was just horrendous. And look, she's got some things going for her. She trains out of Fortis MMA. We know that's one of the best gyms currently up and coming. And their coach, Safe Saoud, always comes through with the good game plans. And with Gina Mazzani, I think part of the reason she is plus 400 is because, like you mentioned, she came from that Alaskan regional scene. We know the, the very, very low level over there. So when she came from there and then made that UFC debut against Sarah McMahon, she got absolutely wrecked. But since that point, I feel like she's leveled up a little bit, man. I mean, you saw that fight against uh, Yan An Wu. Even the fight with Lena Landsberg didn't go her way, but I feel like she has been putting in the work. She has been getting a little bit better. And even though Macy Chiazon might be the stronger fighter, might have more upside, I, I think this line's off, man. And if you're going to bet this fight, I, I don't blame you for taking a half unit shot on Mazzani just to find out or just sit back and pass but i will i will go with uh, gina mazzani did you see my boy uh, johnny bones uh, trying to holler at my girl gina mazzani last night on the countdown so you know what's up uh, it's all about that go life i'll go with gina mazzani for the upset next up in the middleweight division we got charles bird he's 10 and 5 and edmund shabazian is 8 and 0 now Shaq, real quick do you know who uh, edmund shabazian's coach is <laughs> The other Edmund, the great Edmund Tavernian, who is a world champion uh, UFC coach. You know how many UFC belts they have in their gym, Shaq? <laughs> but uh, as far as this fight goes, I definitely think this fight is one of the closer matchups on the card, probably top two or three closer matchups on the card. Uh, I think Charles Bird and Edmund match up pretty well. Edmund is a really interesting case because he's 8-0. What's his record? 8-0. Uh, the first seven were first-round KOs. Allegedly, he's a world-class boxer. The opponents of those first seven KOs weren't that impressive, except like the last two, maybe. Uh, so he re there's definitely some questions. There's a good chance he, you know, he hasn't really fought anybody. But he did beat Stewart at 21 years of age. And the reason why I bring it up, because Edmund Shabazian could be a case of two different ways. He is 21 years old. He beat Darren Stewart. He tied him up the first two rounds. Third round, got a little tired. You know, that could have been due to him implementing a game plan that he's generally not used to. Like I said, all his other wins were by first-round KO. Um, the guy seems really mature. I mean, he says he treats every fight like a, a golden, uh, a gold medal match. Seems like he's got an extensive amateur career. Seems like he's been fighting for a long time. Charles Bird, on the other hand, definitely a little older, 35 years old, but paid his dues on the local scene as well. He's one of these guys that, you know, he had a couple losses early on in his career. Seemed to... Uh, put it all together in the middle stages of his career, and now he's made it to the UFC. Uh, his two opponents on the Contender Series, Charles Scher showed that he's a good grappler. He's got good grappling cardio. He can scramble. He can go back and forth, and he's got good ground and pound. His stand-up's very powerful as well. I think that uh, he might not necessarily have the belief in his stand-up just because, you know, he uh, likes to finish everything with a takedown, and he's also very hell-bent on getting that takedown. Uh, that's his world. That's his, that's his main strength. I would definitely consider him more of a grappler. Uh, he's got power. But the thing with Charles Bird is, you know, if he's trying to wrestle a guy and if he can't get the takedowns, he is an undersized middleweight. He is very muscular. You know, he can tend to get tired. And then uh, he's fighting guys a lot longer, taller, and, uh, you know, bigger than him. Not in Edmund, uh, not necessarily thickness, but lengthwise for sure. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Bird, you know, I think his fight with Stewart, he was doing good, but I think he ran himself into the ground in the first round. You know, I think it was just a slight pacing issue. I think his prior fights to that, he was just able to capitalize on, you know, I don't want to say bums, but, you know, John Phillips doesn't have a ground game. Buddy Wallace, I mean, come on now. And then uh, the other guy, 
it was a pretty good one as well. So, uh, you know, I, I slightly do favor Edmund Shabazian just because at 21 years of age to go out there and execute a game plan to beat Darren Stewart, even though it was completely opposite of what he had the reputation for, it makes me think that the guy has several aspects to his game. Now, I am concerned about that third round when uh, Stewart uh, had him looking for ways out. But Darren Stewart's a tough guy. He hits hard. He put Charles Bird out. Not trying to say MMA math uh, matters here, but I slightly favor Edmund Shabazian. But I could see this going the either way, man. I could see Charles Bird possibly scrambling with him and getting on top, landing some ground and pound, or possibly touching his chin. We still don't know uh, about Edmund Shabazian, uh, his chin. So this fight's really close to me, but I'm going to go with Edmund Shabazian by uh, a late finish. What I think is kind of funny about this is that with a guy like Edmund Shabazian, look, no doubt he's talented and that he's one of these phenom kids who's been training martial arts his whole life, no doubt about it. But what I think is kind of funny about this is when Ronda was training at Glendale Fight Club, all of a sudden it's like, uh, oh, well, who she's who's she training with? She's got no one to train with. Her coaches suck, this and that. But with Edmund Shabazian, no, no one says a fucking thing. Well, you know what? He's training at that exact same, uh, I don't want to disrespect that gym, but he's training at that spot, my man. And we remember all those Glendale fighters. It, it was the same story. They came out, maybe won their first UFC fight besides Ronda, and then they got smashed Just uh, subsequently, like, like Peggy Morgan, like Jake Ellenberger, like fucking... Those guys started, those guys were done before they got there. When they got to Glendale, <laughs> they got ruined. I mean, I don't know if you remember Jake Ellenberger in that Robbie Lawler fight, uh, in the countdown Jake, when... Jake was done. When, when, when my, my boy Edmund's like, yes, Jake, <laughs> yes, Jake, you know what I'm saying? So now he's doing the whole yes, Edmund, and look, all, all bullshit aside, as far as these two match up, I do think it's a closely matched fight but the thing with this is that Edmund Shabazian you know everyone's telling me he's the state champion boxer but then I watch him try to get Darren Stewart pregnant for 15 straight minutes they had to give my boy Darren Stewart plan B on the walkout back to the locker room what about that little quit spot in that third round uh that was kind of sketchy and I think that someone you know that's not a two and four UFC fighter someone that's not sub 500 could have capitalized and put Edmund Shabazian out in that third round now, my boy Darren Stewart does have that power, but for some reason, I don't know what it is. He cannot turn off he cannot turn out off the cage. Don't know why. That's just always been the case historically. You even saw that in the Charles Bird fight. And Charles Bird dominated Darren Stewart for about seven and a half minutes. One elbow behind the ear. He lost his equilibrium. He got knocked out. I don't think that Shabazian's gonna come out here and knock him out. In fact, what I think is that if Shabazian comes out with the wrestling game plan like he did against Darren Stewart, I think he will have success early. I think he will take him down. But eventually, Charles Bird is a scrapper. Charles Bird is a very scrambly guy. He's one of those guys that you might take him down at first. He is a little undersized for the weight class. But you let him turn in on you, he will get on top. Then he's going to start landing punches. Then all of a sudden, his pace is a big part of the fight because the guy doesn't stop. And he will go all three rounds. He's also the captain at Florida's MMA. So you know he's in there getting in rounds with guys like Jeff Neal, guys like Razak if he's in the gym right now. You know, just all these good guys that they got at Florida's MMA. And you know Saif Saeed's coming in here with a with a, with a good game plan because, I mean, let's be honest here. Uh, which coaching staff do you trust? Do you trust Edmund Tarverdian or do you trust Saif Saeed to come out with the right game plan here? I trust Saif Saeed, my man. I'm going to go with Charles Bird here for the upset. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Diego Nightmare Sanchez. He's 28-11, and 11, and Mickey Gall is 5-1. and 1. Currently, they got the 5-1 and 1 guy, Mickey Gall. He's minus 240. The comeback on Diego Sanchez is plus 200. Shaq, I mean, I know everyone remembers we, we were the original guys to fade Mickey Gall when he fought Randy Brown. Still my biggest play to date. So I got to know, man, do you think that he can come out here and beat the legend, the original tough one winner, Diego Sanchez here, in only his 7th uh, pro fight? 
Mickey Gall looked real good his last fight. Got another quick submission. He's a rear naked choke expert. Seemed like he moved to Cali. He's been working with Schilling and uh, Eves Edwards out there. Diego Sanchez looked good his last fight. Dominated Craig White in a in which he was an underdog. Um, Diego, you know, I think it definitely, obviously, you know, he's definitely on the tail end of his career, but I just think the guy's got the heart and motivation to will himself to bring him up, bring him up to a higher level on fight night. As where Mickey Gall, I still think this guy's got a lot to prove. I think that even though he's five and one now, I think that after the Randy Brown fight in which he got completely dominated, I mean, I know he won the second round, but that was just due to Randy Brown making you know, Randy consistent, Brown consistent mistakes like he always does. And, uh, <laughs> Ask Nico. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Randy just got knocked out from uh, bottom, uh, while he was on top. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that just explains itself right there. But uh, Diego Sanchez, I think he can use a, a strategy of top control and just ride uh, Mickey Gall out. You know, Mickey's under the impression that he's got the hands to possibly knock Diego out, but I just quite frankly don't think he's capable of, you know, uh, landing quick elbows off breaks like Matt Brown, which is which he is known for. <laughs> Matt Brown, uh, <laughs> who's on the all-time yeah. KOs list. Uh, or, you know, uh, catch him with that nice right hand like Ally Kenta, the number four guy uh, ranked in the world. Or... Uh, Joe Lozon, even though Joe Lozon is at the tail end at the time, they thought he wasn't necessarily fully on the tail end. But, hey, Lozon's got a great first round. He's, you know, put guys down before as well. So, I think uh, Mickey Gall, and not to mention that uh, Diego also beat Mickey Gall's, uh, his home gym coach, you know, uh, beat his ass pretty good too. I think Diego, yeah, (laughs) Jim Miller. So, I think Diego is tougher than Mickey Gall. I think Mickey Gall is under the impression that he can knock Diego out. I don't think he's going to be successful. He's never knocked anything out in his life, even though he's five uh five and one he's working with some good stand-up coaches that's not his area where he's comfortable at man he's a jiu-jitsu guy and if he's able to go out there and tap diego and do something that all the greats that diego has fought has never been able to do props to mickey gall i highly doubt it so i'm gonna go with diego sanchez in the upset i think he's gonna beat mickey up i think mickey's a nice guy but i think he's in over his head and uh i think uh he will get another sense of reality of why you actually have to earn your spot in the ufc yeah, I mean, look, the reality here is that this guy, Mickey Gall, and much respect, you know, jump on every opportunity you can get and do whatever it takes to get into the UFC. But the reality here is that Dana White went to, you know, have his Dana White looking for a fight. He wasn't even looking at Mickey Gall, but Mickey Gall got on the mic, said he wanted CM Punk, and Dana was impressed by that, signed him. So look, man, I mean, the guy didn't pay his dues at all to be in the UFC. And now in the UFC, I mean, they gave him Mike Jackson, who's one and a, one and one. They gave him CM Punk, who's not a fighter. They gave him Sage Northcutt when Sage was 19, and we knew Sage was going through a bunch of shit back then. I mean, Cody Fister was taking this guy down with, with zero effort. The ref had to save uh, <laughs> Sage Northcutt in that in that uh, Cody Fister fight. That's why he got back up from the takedown. I know you guys remember that shit, so don't even act like you don't. So I'm not impressed with uh, Mickey Gall whatsoever, and obviously the Randy Brown fight. I mean, he got walked down. He was running away from Randy Brown, and there were two 10-8 rounds in the first and third. Second round would have been a 10-8 as well if he didn't get swept. The thing is, I don't think Diego Sanchez is going to get swept. Diego is actually a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Mickey's a brown belt. Not that a brown can't beat a black, not at all. But what I'm trying to say here is that the way these two match up, Mickey Gall has no striking whatsoever. You know that that punch he dropped Sage with? He closed his eyes, said a prayer, landed a lucky, a lucky punch, and you know landed on a very chinny guy. Now, I know Diego Sanchez has been knocked out, but once again, we were talking about someone who's on the all-time KOs list, Matt Brown. We're talking about the number four guy on planet Earth, Ally. Mickey Gall couldn't even uh, hold those guys' jock straps, and I think that 
in this spot, it's going to be similar to the Craig White fight. I, I think that Mickey Gall has no takedown defense, as you saw in the Randy Brown fight. He's willing to uh, flop to his back. He wants to work his jiu-jitsu game. And what he's known for is rear naked choking, guys. All his wins are via rear naked choke. The one area I'd be kind of worried for with Diego is that in that Marcin Held fight, even that Craig White fight, there were some close calls with some guillotines. We know that Mickey Gall does have some somewhat opportunistic jujitsu, so just be careful. Do not get tapped out with anything. And I think if he avoids the sub and doesn't get caught with a lucky punch, I think that he probably dominates uh, Mickey Gall just based off the experience and the top control. And I think he can come out here with that same game plan he had against Craig White and win a decision here. So I'm going to go with the upset. I'm going to go with Diego Sanchez, my man. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Alejandro Turbo Perez. He's 21-6, and six, and Cody Stamen is 17-2. Shaq, currently they got Cody Stamen minus 200. The comeback on Alejandro Turbo Perez is plus 170. Oftentimes when you see a plus number, especially a plus 170 next to a guy like Alejandro Turbo Perez's name, uh, you got to take a look because, as you know, when you talk about uh, weaseling out decisions, my boy Alejandro Turbo Perez is who they refer to as King Weasel, but Cody Stamen has some similar qualities. I've never seen him lose a close decision, so I got to know, man, who's who's getting their arm raised uh, in the split here? The Mexican Weasel is back. Alejandro Perez, what is he, 7-1 and one in the UFC at this point? Between you and me, he's 8-1. <laughs> but... Uh, now uh, he's fighting Cody Stamen. Cody Stamen's coming off that bad loss against Aljamain where he got a knee bar. And, uh, you know, Aljamain's been proving that he's uh, arguably a top. Well, he is a top five guy now, but he might even be higher than that, man. Uh, Aljamain Sterling's been looking real good, man. Aljamain turned the corner, <laughs> man. I can't even front. Uh, Aljamain is looking real good these days. So I think Cody, you know, he was just a part of that storm. I mean, Aljamain uh, figured it out. Cody was going in with a 17-1 and record. Uh you know, Alejandro Perez, even though this fight uh, isn't necessarily lined the way, I actually think this is also one of the closer fights on the card just in terms of how they match up. I think uh, Cody Stamen, in terms of Alejandro's previous opponents, is probably the best guy he's fought in terms of just overall well-rounded skills. He's definitely the... Uh, the best striker he's fought in terms of just cleanliness and you know cody's got good jabs uh one twos taekwondo kicks uh good time takedowns i mean cody's very well-rounded that's the reason why he made the top 10 in three fights uh alejandro perez is one of these guys that just goes about his business quietly because it seems like all his fights are a little controversial mixed with you know uneventful but that's just what he does man he gets guys to have an off night he gets guys to play close in the points with him and then he ends up doing something to steal the rounds but lately it seems like he's uh added a little bit more viciousness in the game now at the eddie wineland fight alejandro definitely won that fight it wasn't pretty he definitely got tagged a bit he gets tagged every fight he's been dropped several times <laughs> but he keeps winning <laughs> not only does he keep winning he wins he wins those <laughs> he wins, rounds yeah, in which he, he got dropped those rounds. like uh alejandro is definitely not pretty he definitely gets hit a lot his dressing defense is getting a lot better with that private uh female wrestling coach actually uh at aka and he's he just he continuously does his job. His one loss is by pretty much a fluke against complete fluke. A complete fluke against Patrick Williams. Uh, he got he got. We'll, we won't ever talk about that again. <laughs> so, <laughs> that never happened. So as far as they match up, I definitely think Cody Stamen's the better striker. But I think Alejandro, even though Cody Stamen has arguably the same skill as Alejandro, let's not forget when he fought Dukanwa, a judge gave Cody Stamen that first round, which is a similar quality as Alejandro Perez. And, uh, you know, a lot of people thought he lost to Caraway, got that decision as well. 
Um, he's won a lot of decisions in his career, you know. So this fight is definitely going to be one of those fights, in my opinion, where most likely at the end of the fight, it's going to be uh, who won, you know, <laughs> who you think got it. Uh, so I think Cody's the better striker. I think Alejandro uh, might be the better situational guy just slightly. He might be able to push it a little bit harder. We know that Stamen in the past has had trouble when guys rush him in spurts because, you know, Stamen in his past matchups, he had to, he's had to do a lot of grappling, man. Uh, this fight, he feels like he's not going to have to do that. He feels like he's going to be able to let all of his stand up go and he thinks he's going to style on Alejandro Perez. Not going to lie, there is a possibility, possibility of that. Alejandro does get hit a lot. He does get dropped. So there definitely is a chance of that. Um, but I do think from a betting perspective, it has to be dog or pass. When you got a seven and one guy like Alejandro Perez, it don't matter who it's against. You gotta just play numbers and play value. So, uh, I'm gonna go with Alejandro on the upset, actually. You know, I think it's gonna be a close, close split decision where we're asking who won. The Mexican weasel might do it again. So I'm gonna go with him just because he's the underdog. Man, hell of a fight. You know, a lot of people, a lot of sharp people that I really respect are very confident on Cody Stamen. And I understand where they're coming from on paper. It's just that when you talk about an Alejandro Perez fight, you cannot you cannot contest that fight on paper, my man. Because, yeah, the stats might say that Cody Stamen lands more per minute or this or that. But the reality here is that Alejandro's had a lot more UFC fights. And he's fought different styles of fighters. So I can see why it says that Cody Stamen lands more per minute. But I'll tell you this right now. When these two get in there and trade, it's going to be a sweat from the second the bell rings to the second the fight ends. Now, part of the reason why I do kind of favor Cody Stamen here is that, yeah, he's the cleaner striker and all that, but I also think that he's able to mix in his takedowns. Now, what's going to be interesting there is that I do think he'll score a takedown or two, but Alejandro is going to scramble back up, and I have seen Cody tire out a little bit in that caraway fight, not just from defending all those takedowns, and which I got to say, Cody has some of the best takedown defense in the bantamweight division, I know eventually. Stuff to Aljamain's too. I know. I, I know eventually he got taken down in that Caraway fight and the Aljamain fight. But dude, that first initial takedown defense he had on Caraway, where his leg was over his head and he was still standing on one leg, I was like, damn, this kid is serious. Cody Stamen is no slouch at all, especially if you're not quite on his level at all. He will go out there and he will style on you. He's just that well rounded. And uh, with Alejandro, I mean, I just love the guy's heart. You know, I just have a special place in my heart for all the Mexican warriors. Uh, and just not just in the UFC, like these guys like him and Teco and Yair, but even back in the day, just something about that Mexican spirit that I've always gravitated towards. These guys are real, real warriors, and you have to put them out to beat them, man. They don't accept losing by decision. But that being said, I think that Alejandro might lose by decision here. I think this might be the time that he gets weaseled. And the thing is, though, I was talking to some of my friends. I was like, do you really want to pay minus 200 to lose a split? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I think they might come out on the right side of this one. It's going to be controversial. It's going to be close. I'm going to go with Cody Stamen to be a majority decision here. Now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Misha Serkunov. He's 14-4. and four, And Johnny Walker, or as we like to say in Brazil, Shaq, Johnny Hawker is 16-3. and three. So, man... This uh, this kid Johnny Hawker, I gotta tell you what, man, he came into the UFC, knocked Ledet out, knocked Roundtree out. Now people are saying that he's just some hype job, that he's first round KO or bust, that he's never uh, faced any adversity. I gotta know, man, is that true? Definitely not true, man. Johnny Walker, actually, early in the career, he was very undeveloped. Uh, got knocked out some a couple times, lost to Abreu that fought uh, this past weekend. And, I mean, uh, ever since he moved to England, ever since he did get knocked out in 18 seconds, seems like he's turned his career completely around. And now uh, 
He's got one of the best plums in MMA. He's got vicious elbows, his size, just his presence. Now, Misha Serkinov, on the other hand, now, you know, I've been rough on Misha in the past for saying uh, he's a guy that, you know, if you put him in one bad spot or if you touch his chin good enough, he will, uh, he will go home. He will definitely look for ways out. But it did seem like, you know, he was operating a little different on his last fight against Cummings. I know Cummings is a can, but <laughs> <laughs> he went out there. You know, I, I said he was going to get a first-round finish, and that's a, and that's exactly what he did. You know, he handled and treated him accordingly. Um, Serkinov also has a win over Krylov, another fraud. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was able to... to his left hand, his straight left's definitely getting better, and we know his jujitsu is better than Johnny Walker's. He's definitely got that arm triangle. He can definitely tap guys out. How many for, how many finish? All of his wins are by finish, right? Yeah. Yeah, all of his wins are by finish. Now, Johnny Walker has more fights than Serkinov. Definitely not that uh, high-level UFC experience. But uh, Johnny Walker, in my opinion, man, I think that Misha Serkinov, just his style of fighter, you know, Misha's not an agile guy. He's a stiff, big, muscular guy that has to stand in front of guys to be successful he's not a, a quick lateral movement guy like johnny walker's using the side to side karate movements and he's got the power inside the pocket as Ramisha has to strictly stay in that pocket he's going to be there for johnny walker to hit all night now johnny walker has been knocked out in the past um is he chinny mm, i mean if the right guy touches him for sure but uh i don't think misha serkinov's that guy i think misha serkinov's gonna try to use some energy trying to wrestle him i think uh once they separate from that he's gonna be a little tired and i think uh once we get once he gets hit on the chin by johnny walker i think his whole world and his whole night will be ruined you know i think uh if he wants to survive johnny walker's been three rounds and hard three rounds man he's and he's shown different you know sides of his game in those three rounds fight he's like he's gotten takedowns not i know it was against uh frankenstein da silva who i guess is a can misha's definitely the best guy he's fought 100 percent but uh, i think johnny walker's gonna come out here i think at some point he's gonna get that plum and either Knock him out with elbows or knees, and uh, when he gets you hurt, that's it. That it's no surviving. He's gonna throw those ground and pound from the heavens, and uh, most likely knock Misha out. But I got a lot of respect for Serkinov. I definitely think Johnny Walker's ready for this type of competition, but you know it is a step up in competition. So, but I got Johnny Walker by first round knockout. Very very excited about this fight because obviously it most likely is not going the distance. Someone is getting finished here. Striker versus grappler on paper. I feel like a lot of people are discrediting Johnny Walker a lot, man. Because for some reason, with these flashy fighters, when they come out here and they get two brutal finishes, people like to write that off for some reason. Like, to me, it was absolutely very impressive. Not just the fact that he went out there and knocked those guys out. And, yeah, we can sit here and talk about how, you know, Khalil Roundtree might be a joke and Justin Ledette is a flat earther and this and that. I, I get it. You know, they were two bums. This is a step up. But what about the way he handled those guys, man? Because... With Khalil, you know, you can sit here and act like, oh, it's Khalil. But, dude, what about the way he was fainting when they first came out? What about that high kick he landed? That was a beautifully accurate high kick. What about that tie clinch, the knee, the elbow? This kid is serious. And then with with the Ledette fight, you know, some people are just going to sit here and be like, oh, he knocked him out in 15 seconds. Oh, big whoop. That's how you guys view it. The way I view it is how many light heavyweights are throwing <laughs> lead leg hook kicks followed by spinning back fists? Let me know, because I can't name too many others, my man. I think that this kid brings something unique to the table. And back to you know him paying his dues and you know first-round KO or bust, all that bullshit. When this kid was 3-0, 3-0 as a pro, they're throwing him in there with UFC vets. I mean, there was no easy road for Johnny Walker. And also, 
I've seen him get KO'd in 16 seconds. You know what that does to a fighter's confidence, man? For him to come back from that and make it all the way to the UFC and get the kind of finishes that he's getting... This kid has paid his dues, and as far as adversity, I saw him in there with a juiced-up Polish wrestler. I saw him get out-wrestled for seven straight minutes, and guess what? In those spots, he could have quit. He could have got. He could have turtled up. He could have let the ref intervene. Instead, uh, he made uh, some separation. He got back up to his feet, and he knocked that man out stiff, cold, viciously. Johnny Walker has that it factor. And as far as Misha Sarkunov... You gotta respect his black belt. He gets on top of Johnny Walker, and if Johnny uh, is not minding his P's and Q's, if Johnny panics a little bit, if something doesn't go his way, Misha could lock in that arm triangle. He could go in there and choke him out. The thing is that Misha likes to stand and bang a little bit, man. You go back and you watch his fights. You even watch that fight with Alex Nicholson. It's not like the first takedown and the fight was over shortly after. He had to take him down three or four times, Shaq. Alex Nicholson got back up. Alex Nicholson defended some sub attempts, even with Ion Kutaleba. First round, Misha Sirkunov got dropped. You get dropped one time against Johnny Walker, the fight will be over shortly after. It wasn't until the third round when Sir, when uh, Kuteleba started to wear down. That's when Sirkunov got him down and tapped him out. So Sirkunov ain't just going out there and getting these guys down right away and tapping them out. With Pat Cummins, Pat pinned him up against the fence for about 30 seconds. Then Sirkunov turned out, used one of his nice judo trips, got him down. I just don't think Johnny Walker is going to be engaging in that type of fight. I think if he's clinched up, he will be looking for that Muay Thai clinch, that Muay Thai plum, landing some vicious knees. And the bottom line here is that I do think when he connects flush, that Sirkunov will go down. So I, uh, I got Johnny Walker via vicious highlight reel performance of the night KO victory. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Zabit Magomed Sharipov. He's 16-1, and and Jeremy Little Heathen Stevens is 28-15. and Currently, they got Zabit Magomed Sharipov. He's minus 245, and the comeback on Jeremy Stevens is plus 205. Shaq, I got to know, man. Is this about the new wave, or is this about the perennial underdog Jeremy Stevens here? Yeah, this is a good fight. Zabit's been looking good. We already know he's a... Uh... I guess you could kind of put him in that big hype train uh, category right now. They think he's a future champion. He definitely got all the skills. He definitely can strike. He can box. He can kick. He can wrestle. He's got good jujitsu, like we saw his last fight. Jeremy Stevens, perennial top 10 guy his whole career, uh, at least most of his career. Vicious KO artist. Jeremy, his last fight, man, that was a big moment. And he, it seems like he's been really emotional uh, afterwards, like we've seen this week. Uh, you know, and you know, I'm not going to put too much light on that on that on those statements but you know he uh that was a bad loss especially at that stage in your career when you work all the way up to fight with jose and some finishes are just like you get caught and you know a couple ground and pound shots or but this one you know it was just the way it was because he had jose hurt and then all of a sudden gases out completely abandons what got him to that point and then uh Went down with that vicious body up shot. And at Jeremy's age, sometimes, especially with the extensive career he's had, been in the UFC since he was like 20, 21, uh, sometimes that might be it, man. Sometimes guys just start going down every fight. I mean, he's had a lot, a lot of damage, a lot of fights. And uh, how many more times can you, you know, bring yourself back up? Uh, this is a spot where, though, in the past he has thrived. Also, at the same time, he's also struggled with uh, long strikers before, like Max Holloway, like Charles Del Bronx, Hanato Moicano. So uh, he struggled with this type of Cowboy. Uh, Cowboy. He's struggled with this type of matchup in the past. So, you know, I am going to take Zabit just because I think Zabit's the better in every aspect of the game. Only concern with Zabit is there will be occasional moments to catch him. You know, occasionally he does drop his hands. Occasionally he does need a little rest. With all that jujitsu and that grappling, when you get back up, you know, you kind of do need a little break. And, you know, he has gotten caught with a couple punches here and there. Seems like he's got a good chin, but 
as the as his career progresses on, I definitely do see him getting caught at some point. And he's fighting on a hard hitter, minus 245. I think it's about accurate. So, like I said, I am going to pick Zabit to win this fight by 30-26 decision. Oh, wow. So, he doesn't even think Jeremy Stevens is going to win a single round. Listen, this is a hell of a matchup because, obviously, for Zabit Magomed Sharipov, everyone's calling him a future world champion, future this, future that. Okay, well, that's the case. Come out here and beat Jeremy Stevens because if you truly are a top 10, a top 5, even a potential future title challenger, then there should be no issue coming out here and getting a comfortable decision win over Jeremy Stevens. Now, if he wants to take it a step further and finish this guy, holy shit, that will make a statement because only the elite of the elite finish a guy like Jeremy Stevens. Uh, even dating back to, you know, the elite thug jitsu master, my guy Eves Edwards, I know you remember that KO, but look, more recently, you know, guys like Jose Aldo are going out there and stopping a guy like Jeremy Stevens. Now, as far as the beat, Magomed Sharipov, on the feet, you know, he's like the Russian Yair. He'll go out there, throw all kinds of spins. He'll jump off the cage. Not to mention, uh, if you saw that video yesterday, Rizvan and Zabit are already playing oh, bro. major games. I, I, was, I was about to get into that, <laughs> like the kind of mind games these guys are playing with they're Jeremy. Just look, they're, they're just looking at him, you know. They're not saying anything. Like, across the room, just looking at him. <laughs> I mean, like... I've had friends that have fought Russians before, and they said when they went to go check their weight that like a crew of a crew of thirty Russians are just staring at them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're outnumbered like thirty to two, and the Russians are all staring at them. Well, in this case, you know, Jeremy was in the back. Uh, you know, they're putting his makeup on because he's about to do the pre-fight hype video. You know, they show right before the video where the guys are talking shit. So. Jeremy was about to do his, and they got Zabit and his uh, Russian buddy. Uh, they're just staring at Jeremy, ghost face, like staring through his soul. And then Jeremy gets up, Zabit gets up, and they have like one of the UFC like crew ladies trying to separate <laughs> them. And Zabit's trying to go face to face with Jeremy in the back. Dude, it was scary. He looked into Jeremy's soul. But the area Jeremy might have somewhat of an edge here or a spot he can capitalize is that. Zabit does have a little bit of that tall man defense. Look, he's six foot one, fighting at featherweight. Doesn't matter what division you are in. Tall men have tall man defense. Even my boy Johnny Hawker, you know, if uh, if Misha Serkunov wants to throw a big overhand left, you never know with the, with these tall men. But as far as as Zabit and Jeremy, that's Jeremy's path to victory. Same path he's always had. He's one of the most vicious KO artists in the history of the sport. I mean, when Jeremy Stevens knocks someone out, it's not just that one punch that knocks the guy out. What about the vicious follow-up that he does? I mean, Emmett, he, honey. my boy Emmett is never going to be the same. Not only that, I'll tell you this right now. If Jeremy Stevens knocks out Zabit Magomed Sharipov, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you this. If he throws that follow-up on Zabit, expect a couple Russians to climb that cage and attack Jeremy Stevens because that's how... Uh, that there will be a riot in the cage if Jeremy Stevens throws a follow up on Zabit. But that being said, I actually think Zabit wins this fight. I think on the feet he's going to pick him apart. He's going to probably throw a little bit less flash because you got to be careful of the power of Jeremy Stevens. So he's going to try to get uh, back to his boxing, try to use that jab, try to mix in leg kicks, and eventually, I actually think Zabit's going to try to mix it up and take it to the mat because a lot of people sleep on his grappling just because they see him jumping off the cage throwing you know, spinning head kicks and shit like that. His fucking ground game is on point. You saw what he did to my boy, uh, Shaman Marais. You saw what he did to Brandon Davis. I think he can take down Jeremy Stevens and be the first man in a while to submit him. I believe it's been since, uh, what, Joe Lozon that he's been submitted? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long time. So I think Zabit can be the first man to submit him in a long time, but you can also go out here and win a decision. Just has to watch out. My boy Charles Dubrox didn't sub him. Just watch out. Do not get caught with that overhand. I think he wins. As far as betting, if you guys have beat under 2-1, to one, I think that's the way to go. But now, 
at around minus 245, I'd probably pass. I'd maybe, maybe take the one-unit shot on Jeremy, but I, I think Jeremy's going to lose. So I'm going to go as a beat via decision here. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Cody Garbrandt, or as we like to say in Brazil, Shaq, Cody Garbrandt, he's 11-2, and two, and Pedro Munoz is 17-3. and three. And currently, they got Cody Garbrandt, and he's minus 135. The comeback on Pedro Munoz is plus 115. Shaq, uh, can I ask you something, my man? What's happened more recently? Has Ronda Rousey fought more recently, or has Cody Garbrandt won a fight more recently? Just put it this way. The last time Cody Garbrandt won a fight, Louis Smoka got cut, won a couple local scene fights, came back to the UFC and won a fight. And, <laughs> <laughs> and now has another fight booked the week after him. So uh, Cody Garbrandt, look, I think the guy in the past, you know, we were rough on him. And, you know, I feel like the truth is starting to unfold a little bit. You know, I feel like... Look, he touched a belt. Not too many people can say that. Congratulations to him. Never, I mean, look, at he's balling right now. I mean, he's wearing all these, uh, as my boy Kobe would say, uh, these tablecloths from the Golden Buddha Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but uh, you know, I think, uh, and he's got that Mercedes, that retire, that retirement car that... Uh, <laughs> you know, when they start driving that car, it's over, right? He's got that retirement car. But uh, Cody Garbrandt, man, I feel, I honestly feel like he was a beneficiary of the state of the Ben Dwight division uh, towards the end of Dominic Cruz's reign. You know, I feel like Dominic Cruz, he, he won that fight against Dillashaw. Dillashaw had to go win a couple fights against the Sunsound Lineker. And then uh, Cody took a fight with Takeya, Miz Takeya Mizugaki was still a fight before the title at the, in the Bantamweight division at the time. And then, uh, you know, he had that win over Thomas Almeida, who was, you know, the big prospect at the time. So I guess that was, that was a big win. But uh, as far as Dominic Cruz, you know, Dominic Cruz looked like shit against Faber the fight before that. And Dominic, I mean, guy's body's barely holding on, you know. It was a great win, but I, I truly think he was a beneficiary just to state that Dominic's body was in. Dominic low-key did get dropped against Faber. Cody looked good, man. But, you know, as far as the skill set, man, he's just been a guy that's very flat-footed. Got very fast hands and uh, catches guys on the chin, but he's also very chinny as well, so he's going to live and die by that. He doesn't really utilize any other skills. Uh, and not to mention, ever since uh, that that Germany, uh, those Germany back injections, he hasn't won a fight, man. He had to pull out it when the TJ fight was originally scheduled the first time. He had to pull out of that fight because of his back. And, I mean, to me, you can kind of tell he's, you know, favoring a little bit, man. It seems like he's a little tighter. It seems like he's uh, not as loose as he once was, you know, um, and I just think mentally, when you get caught up in the way that he got caught up in the TJ, let's not forget, a lot of people put a lot of expectations on him going into that fight, let's not forget TJ and Holdsworth had beef, Holdsworth was, uh, in TJ's corner, you know, uh, I mean, these guys are telling him, like, you gotta win this fight, buckles, uh, favor, favor, <laughs> and then you release the video the day before the fight, like, that's a big, let, let, let them know what you're talking about, what they, they, they don't know. Like the video of him knocking him out. Oh, yeah. The, when he released the video the day before the fight of him knocking uh, TJ up. And, uh, in practice. Yeah. In practice. So, you know, the guy was really emotional. He put a lot of emotions into that fight. Had him had TJ hurt badly, but the guy couldn't keep his composure. That's not what champions do. Champions aren't in their middle finger. That's what those are what uh, dumb, inexperienced prospects are doing. You know, I feel like he was in a spot that he might have not been ready for. And it showed. So when he fought Dillashaw, he, he's, to be honest... That's why we faded uh, Dillashaw against Henry. Cody was a clear step ahead of him. I mean, 
Cody is the more talented fighter by a long shot. It's just he doesn't have the mental capacity or the the mental stability or the to, chin <laughs> or the chin to uh to uh but you know all those things you know lead into the, his, his shitty chin uh playing out you know so uh as far as this fight with Pedro Munoz goes you know Pedro uh, arguably could be on a seven fight win streak if he uh if that decision against Dotson went his way but we know Dotson's a uh, a little weasel that, you know, really doesn't want to fight, <laughs> especially a guy like Pedro. It was actually a good matchup for Dotson in hindsight, you know. But uh, I think Pedro Munoz has a way. I would kind of compare him essentially to, you know, a Brazilian style, like a, a Gritzmacher type of style. He can yeah, take you know. a, a he can take a, take a ton of punishment, and he can keep going and keep going and keep going, and he doesn't need a rest. He can eat every shot you have. His chin's hold up in every single UFC fight. Now Garbrandt probably is the hardest hitter he's fought, but if you give Pedro weeks in advance to know that hey, don't get knocked out. This is honestly standard business for Pedro. Like Pedro knows what he's got to do. Don't get knocked out. And I think at some point, you know, uh, Pedro's pressure is just too relentless. He's fought hard hitters like Robbie Font before. He's fought hard hitters like Jimmy Rivera before. In his in their prime. Like now, he, not the Jimmy that fought Aljamain. <laughs> and he broke and he broke Robbie Font down real quick. I mean, like I said, I would kind of compare it to a more higher level, you know, Gritzmacher style, the the style that just does not stop. And when that style, a guy like Garbrandt. He's not going to be able to resist trying to knock him out. And if he doesn't knock him out, Pedro will break him. And Pedro will find that neck. And Garbrandt will either get knocked out or tapped out. So I'm going to go with Pedro Munoz for the upset here. Do I wish the line was a little higher? Maybe. But uh, I see why the actions come in. I think Garbrandt, look, I think he had a great run. But like I said, I think he was in a spot that he really wasn't ready for. And I think uh, the truth is still riding itself. And uh, we'll see if he wins this fight. Is it a step down in competition? Yeah, but when, what? You, but, but when you look at his career before the cruise fight, like I said, Takeya Mizugaki, Tommaso made I'll give him that win. At the time, that was a good win. But Tanquino Mendez, Marcus Brimage, Briones. Henry Briones, the guy honestly fought Kansas. He was in that spot because he had the look. Like Pedro said, hey, no homo. He's a good-looking kid. You know, he's got, <laughs> he's got tattoos. Like, it was a good thing. I think he had the look. I think they put him in that spot. And uh, now he's not. And I think Pedro will get this win. I don't know if you saw what he was wearing yesterday at the media day, but he looked like uh, any Michael Jackson impersonator on any corner of the Vegas Strip, man. Uh, I wouldn't be caught dead wearing that. But look, as far as this matchup is concerned, it's interesting because Cody Garbrandt, he's known for having some of the fastest and most powerful hands in the UFC Bantamweight division. Pedro Munoz is known for having one of the best chins and guillotine chokes in the UFC Bantamweight division. The way I see this, this matchup playing out is... I hear the argument for Cody by decision because sometimes Pedro Munoz in the past, you know, he has been outstruck by guys like Jimmy Rivera, guys like Rafael Asuncao. But with Cody Garbranch, man, ever since he had that back procedure in Germany, if you watch his fight with Dominic Cruz and you watch his two fights with TJ Dillashaw, he just kind of looks a little stiff. He's not moving as loosely as he used to. Those back injuries, man, those back procedures really took their toll on Cody Garbrandt, not to mention he already had a somewhat suspect chin, and the guy is just a loose cannon. I mean, you know, we can sit here and act like he was winning that TJ Dillashaw fight until he lost his mind, and that might be true, and that might not also be true, because I kind of noticed that in that second round, he was a little bit slower, man. It looked like he slowed down, man. It looked like his gas tank might not be as good as it used to be. I know he went five rounds with Cruz, but that was prior to to the back surgeries, and that was also a Cruz. That was the last time Cruz ever fought. <laughs> That was less recently than the last time Ronda Rousey fought. Do you understand what I'm saying here? So I think that something happened to Cody Garbrandt. Those back procedures were worse than we really thought, and that's why he looked really stiff in those two TJ fights and got knocked out in the first round, man. Uh, 
in the second round in the first time. But look, as far as Pedro Munoz, he's like a Carlos Diego Ferreira, man. Uh, you could throw everything at this guy. If your name is not Dustin Poirier or something like that, you're not going to knock this guy out. Pedro Munoz has a great chin and eventually he puts that pressure on you. The dude hits fucking hard. You saw what he did to Robbie Font, who Robbie Font, I mean, if we want to sit here and be like, okay, well, has Pedro ever fought someone with hard, fast hands that puts people down? Uh, what about Robbie Font, man? And not only did he break Robbie Font, he hit him with some hard shots. He made Robbie Font take that desperate shot, grabbed his neck, and choked him out. He hits Pedro. He hits uh, Cody Garbrandt with some of those shots, and uh, I won't be surprised if he knocks Garbrandt out. But also, won't be surprised if he makes Garbrandt shoot for a takedown because you remember when TJ dropped him, uh, Cody shot for a takedown there too. So don't be surprised if he does that here. I'm gonna go with Pedro Munoz for the upset. I think he finishes the former champion Cody Garbrandt. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got Tisha the Tiny Tornado Torres. She's 10-3, and and Wiley Zhang is 18-1. Currently, they got Tisha Torres. She's plus 100, and Wiley Zhang is minus 120. It's essentially a pick uh, A lot of action has been coming in on Tisha Torres. Which way are you going, man? It's a great fight. Another one of those closely... Uh on paper, it seems like a very closely contested battle. Now, I know uh, this is one of those typical spots where you got the sort of, not necessarily hyped up prospect, but a prospect with very little inexperience against no one on her opponent's uh, level. You've seen that. We've been seeing a lot of those type of matchups lately. Wiley Zhang, 18-1. and one. I mean, in China, we already know her reputation out there, bro. She she puts she puts chicks down. <laughs> I almost said bitches, but uh, <laughs> she puts chicks down in the uh, in the ground down there, man. And then she came to the UFC had a very tough fight with Daniel Taylor. Not to mention that she didn't have any of her uh, cornerman team from China with her. She had to use a completely different team to corner her. You know, they all got denied at the uh, airport, and she still won that fight. And Daniel Taylor, I know she's not in the no longer in the UFC. She wasn't able to keep her job, but no one had an easy night with Daniel. Taylor, you know, it's going to be a tough fight, and I thought Art Wiley won every round, one of the rounds was questionable, she definitely got tagged with a couple overhand rights, and then uh, she made her comeback against uh, Aguilar, and smoked her in the first round, showed her jujitsu there, so she shows that uh, she's a well-rounded fighter, now Tisha Torres is definitely a step up in competition, Tisha's a perennial top five, six girl, and you know, Tisha's a girl that I like to bet on as well, because you know, I, I like how disciplined she is, I like how she's going to stick to her tip and run the point fighting uh she's got good wrestling good uh rest offensive wrestling defensive wrestling is a little <laughs> but uh, <laughs> her defensive wrestling is her weakness and the fact that she's only lost to the three best girls in the division she lost to rose she lost to andrage and she lost to uh yoana and whatever order you want to put them in so i think uh tisha's definitely got fought the way better fighters i think that as far as how they match up i think wiley zang I don't want to say she's got better boxing than Tisha, but I will say she might be she might be willing she might be willing to expose herself to to accomplish to get the win. You know, take more risks. Take more risk to get the win. You know, I feel like Tisha Torres has a a, a mental weakness, not a not a skill weakness. I think she has a mental weakness. I feel like that at times if she feels like she's a little outmatched as if as if you know she can't style on she'll just survive yeah, yeah if she can't style on you like how she can style against Beck Rawlings I know she didn't uh necessarily style on Watterson but there were times where the first round she was putting it on Watterson real bad uh 
Larson's a pipsqueak, but <laughs> but uh, Wiley Zhang, she's got to be ready. This is definitely not Aguilar no more, and this definitely ain't Daniel Taylor anymore. But like I said, I think Tisha Torres has a mental weakness, and I think Wiley Zhang has the technical abilities to bring those weaknesses out. I think Wiley Zhang's got a serious left kick game. I think she's well-rounded. Her left foot's on point. The takedowns that she showed against Daniel Taylor on point with those trips. I think she's a well-rounded fighter. She's just going to have to do that against the number six girl in the world in her third UFC fight. It's a tough task. In the States. In the States. Coming from China. So it's definitely a tough task. So, uh, you know, from a betting perspective, uh, you know, you got to, it's a, I don't want to say a dog. I do favor Wiley Zhang to get this win by a close decision. Like I said, I think uh, Tisha Torres in these fights that she wins, if you notice, these girls just necessarily aren't on her level when it comes to just the technical aspects. I know Watterson's somewhat good, but Watterson just wasn't tough enough. But everyone else, for the most part, Juliana Lima, Beck Rawlings, Jocelyn Leibarger, uh, Magania, uh, <laughs> fucking... Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So this definitely is the fourth best girl she's fought, I would say. So uh, I'm going to go with Wiley Zhang in a close decision win. She's got a tough task on her hands. But uh, I, I definitely understand the Tisha side, way more experienced, fought way better. Uh, not I don't want to say way better people, but just been in high more, way more high-profile fights against Joanna Rose and Andrade. So I definitely get that side. But I'm going to go with Wiley Zhang in a close decision win in her first fight in the States. And keep an eye out on this girl, man. Definitely, uh, you know, shout out to my girl Wiley Zhang coming through on that on that max bet with Yan Zonan against uh, Jessica Aguilar. That's what I was looking to accomplish the first time I bet against Jessica Aguilar big, and you know she showed uh, what we were saying all along. So much respect to her for that. As far as this matchup with Tisha Torres, seems like every time Tisha Torres fights, unless it's against uh, Jessica Andrade or Joanna Yan Jacek, is usually a pretty closely contested split decision type fight. Unless she's in there with Beck Rollins, then she'll just go out there and dominate you. But with Viley Zhang, man, I think it's going to be a close fight as well. What's interesting is that as far as the stand-up exchanges go, I, I do think that Tisha Torres might have the faster hands, but Wiley might hit a little bit harder. Also, Wiley does have some some funky kicks, man. She will throw a hook kick in there and my girl Tisha does have that Taekwondo background as well, man. You know, she can spin too, but mostly ever since she's transitioned to MMA, she kind of likes to circle on the outside, use her hands. And lately she's been rounding out her game. You saw her take down Juliana Lima and choke her out. So Tisha's definitely been adding things to her game. One thing I'll say about Viley Zhang, even though she does have that striking background, does hit hard for this division standards, can spin as well. Her top game is very impressive, Shaq. And it seems to me like when she gets on top of these girls, they don't get back up. And not only that, that's a weakness I've noticed in Tisha Torres' game, historically speaking, from back in the days when she used to train here in Atlanta to the time on the Ultimate Fire to now back at ATT Florida. When you get Tisha Torres on bottom, she ain't getting back up, man. And I do think that while the stand-up exchanges are going to be closely contested, if Wiley Zhang can uh, get that lateral drop, get that body lock, get her down... I think she's going to do some serious damage, my man. And from there, I think she can win the fight. Now, as far as the betting line, I completely understand why you're taking the shot on Tisha because, you know, Wiley's... Who the fuck is Wiley? Yeah, <laughs> she beat Daniel Taylor and Jessica Aguilar. Congrats. And, and by the way, Daniel Taylor rocked her. You know, we don't have to tell anyone about this, but 
I think my girl Wiley might on the low key. You don't gotta tell no one, but my girl Wiley might be a little chinny. We don't gotta tell no one about that time that Daniel Taylor rocked her, but that really did happen, my man. So you just gotta keep a, a mental note Daniel for that. Taylor rocked a couple bitches. You just gotta keep a mental note right for future reference that my girl Wiley has been rocked inside the octagon before, and you don't often see that in many female fights. But that being said, I do think she finds the way to get on top of Tisha. It's gonna be a close fight. I got Wiley via split decision. Now, next up in the UFC welterweight division, we got Ruthless Robbie Lawler. He's 28-12, and 12, and Funky Ben Askren is 18-0. Currently, they got Funky Ben Askren minus 300. The comeback on Ruthless Robbie Lawler is plus 250. Shaq, I mean, I think it's pretty simple that as long as this fight stays standing, Askren's in huge trouble. As long as this fight's on the mat, Robbie Lawler's in huge trouble. The question is, how quickly is it going to take Ben Askren to close that distance and get Robbie down? Or is he simply not going to be able to do so? Yeah, it's a good fight. Now, Askren's coming from 1FC. And, you know, I've been hearing rumors uh, prior to this UFC trade going on. The guy was a stay-at-home dad, you know. Uh, Don't like Ben Askren? <laughs> yeah. He, I already stopped like, training I already, completely. <laughs> I, already stopped training. I already stopped training for a while. I mean... The guy's got, I mean, he's got Lamborghinis down there in Asia from 1FC, so he was definitely doing his thing, getting that uh, money. I see my boy Eddie, uh, he's out there now trying to get that money, and Sage and DJ, they're trying to get that money as well. And uh, so Ben, I mean, there's a good chance he, not necessarily rushed, but he definitely had to force himself to get in shape a little a little harder for this one, you know. I mean, he retired. There, we heard from some people where, you know, the guy was... You know, eating chips on the couch, you know, with the shirt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, as far as the fight goes, Robbie's also coming off an ACL, an ACL and an MCL tear against Dos Anjos in that fight, in which he got completely butchered. And before that, uh, he won a, a close decision against Donald Cerrone, a fight that I honestly thought Cerrone won. And before that, the knockout against Willie. So, you know, the last time Robbie uh, won a fight was like UFC one. Besides Cerrone? Yeah. Carlos Condich. Yeah. Yeah, Carlos Condich. And everyone thought he lost that, yeah. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that one. But uh, Robbie definitely has the power. He's definitely done good against some wrestlers, like uh, Koscheck, uh, knocked him stiff. Um, definitely, in his prime, had a serious sprawl. I mean, Robbie had a very good sprawl in the Hendricks fight to win the title. Uh, Robbie can definitely, ha has had his spurts of showing good wrestling defense, but... Not gonna lie, man. Here's a whole fucking different ball game with this one. This is like elite, elite Olympics. Olympic. He was on the same Olympic team of Cormier and Cejudo. So that just shows you what type of wrestler he is. He's a four-time All-American, two-time national champ. The only two years he didn't win the national champion is when uh, he lost to my boy Johnny Hendricks, the the big rig. <laughs> but, uh, other than that, man, I think Ashton's just an expert at top control. Like, I think that his uh, his attempts to close the distance are definitely a little sketchy. I mean, the guy's got no striking at all. That's definitely 100%. But he is a specialist when it comes to the clinch, when it comes just the ankle diving with combined with the, the top control and the, the jiu-jitsu, man. He's serious. And if he gets Robbie down, he's not getting back up. Robbie's got to hope he can catch him behind the ear somewhere, him trying to close the distance. But he's got to be prepared to sprawl all night. This is this is you can kind of compare this to uh, like a, a prospect fighting Damian Maya or <laughs> like you better be ready to sprawl all fucking night. even a vet fighting yeah, Damian even, even a vet like you know but I'm saying like a, an experienced guy like not a Colby or a Usman but fucking uh, like he better be ready to sprawl all night and uh, so I gotta go with Ashton I think Ashton's probably gonna 
dominate here. Worst case scenario, be a boring ankle dive session against the fence, kind of like a Shields Campman type of fight back in the day. But uh, I think uh, Ashkin will pull this one out at the end of the day. I think it's top control in his wrestling. I didn't realize it was that damn good. <laughs> I mean, he's making he's making some good like Nikolai Alexin. Of course, he he's not good, like but he made him look like an absolute. Dog shit bum that night they <laughs> fight. And Nikolai Sirius and uh, D- Douglas Lima and, and uh, Korshkov. So, like, I mean, he was on top of Korshkov, smacking him and talking in his ear, and he was making Korshkov do all this shit. So, props to him, man. He's a top control expert. Listen, I've been very critical of Ben Askren in the past just because when you see him stand up, it's the ugliest thing you've ever seen. And anytime the fight is on the feet and he's attempting to close that distance, it's like, whoa, this guy's an amateur. But as soon as he gets on top one time, Robbie ain't getting back up, man. Look, nothing would make me happier than seeing Robbie Lawler come out here, sprawl on Ben Askren, nuts on the forehead, fucking turn that corner like he did to Koscheck, and knock this guy the fuck out. Even that beautiful sprawl he had against Rory McDonald the second time they fought, that was one of the best sprawls I've ever seen from Robbie Lawler. I know he brought in Logan Storley. I know he brought in all these guys, but the thing is, man, it's going to look like, oh, shit, he's about to expose this fraud. Like, whoa, Robbie's sprawling. He's doing the whole bit. He's going to sprawl like four times. But on that fifth one, when Askren finally does uh, get that, that, that ankle pick, that little single, <laughs> and he is on top, it's going to be like, oh, my fucking God. Robbie up. It's like, Robbie up. <laughs> up, Robbie. Oh, no. and, it's like, and then you just threw away your plus 250. And. You know, you look at a fight like Josh Koscheck and Robbie Lawler, and Koscheck actually got him down, and, you know, Robbie's kind of smiling from butterfly guard, and then he gets works his way back up. The thing is, that's not happening here, man. You get – Ashton gets on top of you, that round is over. So, Robbie needs to not play around, not make any faces, not do anything stupid. He's got to come out here, low stance, get ready to sprawl, and when they do sprawl, don't turn that corner and try to take his back and pound him like you did to Koscheck. Push down on the head, step away, make him stand back up, and try to stay in the center as much as possible. It's going to be – look, I'm rooting for Robbie because obviously you guys know I like knockout artists a lot more than I like lay and pray fighters. You know, there's a good chance it's going to look like Dakota Crockett's uh, audition tape. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I got to go with Ben Askin. But nothing would make me happier than seeing Robbie Lawler come out here with another highlight reel knockout. I'm thinking it's going to probably be Askren. But look, when Askren starts fighting the Kamarus, the the Colbys, the Woodleys, he's uh, in deep shit. But here against my boy Hobby Lawler, it might be. Look, I hope Robbie knocks him out. No doubt about it. I'll be rooting for him. The pick is Askren. Co-main event of the evening. UFC welterweight championship fight. Tyron, the chosen one, Woodley, is 19-3. and and Kamaru Marty Usman is 14-1. and one. And currently, they got Tyron Woodley's minus 145. The comeback on Kamaru, the Nigerian Nightmare, or as we like to say, the Nigerian NyQuil, is plus 125. So I got to know, man, a, a lot of action has come in on Kamaru Usman. The line has come down from plus 170 all the way down to plus 125. So I got to know your opinion, man. You think that line movement is justified, or you think uh, T-Wood's going to show them why he is the reigning defending UFC welterweight champ? It's a great fight. Big bro versus little bro. Kamaru Usman, one of the best resumes at uh, 170 pounds, undefeated. Woodley, like we said earlier in the show, is trying to prove he's the greatest of all time. Seems like everyone and their mom's on Kamaru these days. Uh, Literally. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, like uh, Woodley was trying to explain to his college teammate, Ashkin, Kamaru, he thinks Kamaru hasn't been keeping that same energy, so... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna find out on Saturday night. Now, as far as how they match up, I think Woodley 
prior to the till fight, it kind of seemed like this title reign might come to an end, you know, very soon, just because, you know, the fights were very lackluster. But come to the realization that Willie's probably just not going to use any extra energy. I mean, look at him. He's muscular, man. He, you know, if he go, if he, he has to manage his cardio 100%, and he's, and he's actually getting very better at that, um, uh, amongst the years and then uh in his last fight against till it was kind of different man because generally woodley's you know is these fights against wonder boy maya straight back into the fence and they're doing that same game of don't get caught with Willie's right hand. Don't get caught with the the straight shot. You know that same that same read over and over. But the Till fight, man, he just came out right away and let Till know like the the back the back being on the fence thing was not the case here. This time his back was off the fence. He was in the middle of the cage. He was boxing and uh, he was doing his thing, man. That was definitely his best performance. And then he showed his jujitsu off. And you know, uh, not that we didn't know he had jujitsu because remember that guillotine he had on uh, on uh wonder boy in their fight and not to mention i heard he had colby in his guillotine and uh allegedly colby, yeah a nice guillotine in strike force too yeah allegedly he, uh colby almost passed out <laughs> when he stood up <laughs> but uh yeah i think that woodley possibly showed signs that you know he's still here man even though he's getting up in age he's still here he's still getting better and i think that was the best performance of his ufc career could have been the easiest opponent he's had in a while but that was the best opponent of his career but going into that fight too was the next conor mcgregor so Props to, and he was the best striker in the division. So props allegedly. to T, allegedly. Uh, so props to T Wood. Now Usman, on the other hand, as far as they match up, there's a if T Wood doesn't come out, you know, if he resorts back to his old tendencies with the straight back into the fence, you know, just out of respect for Usman's wrestling, Usman will definitely have him positioned against the fence, and uh, in a cage control position, you know, he will definitely be the octagon control he will definitely be in the lead the thing is he's gonna have to avoid the right hand the big the big factor in this fight is how well does Usman's chin hold up when he gets hit by the right hand he's never been dropped before he's never been in any type of jeopardy to get finished by punches before none whatsoever the guy's never been wobbled he I mean he's got I mean he's a fight you know he's gonna get caught every now but he's never done a, yeah, a stumble a real chicken dance. he's never done a chicken dance or hit a knee or a drop but he's definitely never fought a, yeah until though but Neither um the thing with Tilla is all these guys had kind of shown shot the 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 Nicholas Dobby fight the Dobby beat Bobby Lawler all those wars or Damian Maya so I will say Usman has never showed signs of not even wobbling a chicken dance nothing like at some point you would think one of those dudes you know wobbled him a little bit here and there but no one's even come close to wobbling him so I do think Usman has the best chin. Uh, to go in there against Woodley compared to uh, Woodley's past opponents. The thing with this fight is, that's just an assumption. Woodley hits you on the chin, man. <laughs> what happens generally? These guys these guys hit the deck. And, you know, I think if Camaro's chin holds up, I think that he could possibly win a decision by just being more active. Camaro doesn't stop. He's like a more stronger, firm uh, version of Kobe. You know, Kobe's more dynamic, looser with the kicks at, at as where Kamaru's got the traditional boxing. But, you know, same approach. Like, he, he's going to keep working the entire time. It's not that boring. as uh, It's not that exciting. But uh, I think that he def if he uses the right strategy, I definitely think it's a winnable fight for him. He's a talented guy. So from a betting perspective, if you got that good dog money on Kamaru up, you know, when you got it at the plus 150s, 160s, I definitely think you got the value. I definitely think it's a good bet. Where it's at now, for me personally, uh, you know, I feel like it's about more accurate, like, percentage-wise now. I think Woodley's the better fighter, the more proven fighter. 
a way step up in competition in comparison to Rafael Dos Anjos and Damian Maya. So I am going to favor Woodley. I think both guys can, you know, implement strategies to win, but I, I just see Woodley winning the fight. I don't know by how, if it's going to be by knockout or a lackluster decision. I just don't see Camaro being able to wrestle him. And I'm, I'm just going to assume that when Woodley hits him, he does get dropped in one of the rounds. And, you know, either Woodley gets off to a big lead and maintains that lead and rides it the whole way out, or uh, or he knocks him out. So I'm going to go with Woodley. Listen, man, both of these guys have been doing their thing in the UFC welterweight division. Obviously, Kamaru Usman uh, is quietly on a nine-fight win streak inside the octagon, and he's barely lost a round in any of those fights, man. He's just gone out there and absolutely dominated everyone. I think part of the reason it's been under the radar is because, you know, he's not the most exciting guy. They do call him Nigerian NyQuil, but look, man, when you're as dominant as he's been, when you beat the guys that he's beaten, Leon Edwards, Rafael Dos Anjos, Damian Maia, there's no option but to give him that next title shot. And, you know, some of the lesser names, Sean Strickland, Worley Alves, he's been paying his dues, Shaq. No questions asked there. And now he deserves that chance to, to step up and challenge the undisputed, the reigning, defending, tyrant, the chosen one, Woodley. And as far as T. Wood, talk about a guy who's come a long way, man. I, I know you guys remember back when he beat Kelvin Gastelum by split and then he sat out for a year, was asking for that title shot. Everyone acted like he didn't deserve it. Well, guess what? He did deserve it. He went out there against Robbie Lawler in Atlanta, Georgia at UFC 201 and knocked him stiff in the first round, beat Wonderboy twice. They can call it a draw, but between you and me, he beat Wonderboy twice. Shut down Damian Maya. What's impressive to me, I know some of those fights might be on the boring side, but what's impressive to me is he goes out there against, you know, allegedly the best grappler in the division and Damian Maya. Stuff's all his takedowns. I know Kamara did something similar, no doubt about it. But then uh goes in there against that new age striker, Darren Till, and Darren Till can't even land a single shot the whole fight. So Tyron Woodley is definitely very impressive, and I know his cardio has been criticized in the past, but look, I've seen him go five rounds, three fights in a row, man. So like I'm not sitting here questioning Tyron Woolley's uh, gas tank. The thing, though, is if somehow Marty can survive those big overhand riots and he can still stay in there, keep his composure, he's not going to break Woodley just because Woodley has a suspect gas tank. I think it's more so because the output of a guy like Kamaru Usman, if he gets past that point. He has to go through a lot of shit to get to this hypothetical stage I'm talking about in the third and fourth rounds where he can potentially have a lot of success here against uh, Woodley if he takes Woodley's best shot and is still in there. And that, that's Kamara's path to victory, is to extend this fight as much as possible and take those shots but keep coming forward. He talks about how he's got the biggest shovel in the in the uh, welterweight division, how he can dig the deepest. Well, we got to see if that's true, man, because with Woodley, when these guys get hit, they tend to not get back up. And so I want to know what's going to happen here with Kamara, who's never been rocked before. My personal opinion is that he probably will get TKO'd, man, because Woodley just simply hits too hard. He's too accurate, and there's too many openings in Kamaru's attempts to close the distance. It's just that when you're fighting a guy like Rafael Dos Anjos, who's a natural lightweight, who feels your presence in there, who was broken before the fight even began, let's be honest, of course he's not going to capitalize on those openings. But when you're fighting a guy like Tyron Woodley, who is as meticulous in his film study, he has a group of coaches game planning for all your tendencies, I think he will be prepared. Because you remember, the one time Darren Till committed to his one, too because you guys know oh Darren Till he's known for his straight left well why the fuck didn't he throw that straight left the entire fight until the second round well it's because Woodley had something waiting for that straight left and you saw as soon as he committed to it boom counter on the mat fight was over shortly after I think Woodley's team and just Woodley's fight IQ is smart enough to the point where they do know Kamaru's tendencies and when Kamaru commits to something that they've been seeing on tape 
a lot. They will have the answer for it, and I think they do knock out Kamaru Usman. I'm going to go with Wooly to get his fourth title defense. In my eyes, it's his fifth because I, I thought he beat Wonderboy both times, but officially, it'll be his fourth, and I will go and still Tyron Woodley, the UFC welterweight champion. Well, guess what? That wasn't the main event because this is my man. Main event of the evening. We got the greatest fighter of all time, Johnny Bones Jones. He it says he's twenty three and one, but he's actually twenty five and zero. He's taking on Anthony Lionheart Smith, who's thirty one and thirteen. Currently, they got John Bones Jones. He's minus eight hundred. The comeback on Anthony Lionheart Smith is plus five fifty. All I gotta know is, man, is a guy with thirteen losses gonna be the first man in MMA history to defeat the great John Jones? Yeah, it's a great fight. You know, I'm actually on board with it with Lionheart Smith getting this title shot. You know, I think he's a bigger well, I'm not going to say a bigger threat to Jones than, I, I am going to say that, a bigger threat to Jones than Gustafsson. But I think at this point, I think these new guys coming up from 85, like Anthony Smith, Maeda Santos, these young kids like uh, Reyes, Crute, Reyes, McCall, Crute, McCall uh, Johnny Walker, possibly Ratchet. You know, I feel like that's where the, uh, the 205 division is kind of, I mean, it's new blood at 205 now, like. Completely new blood, as where you know John's Gustafson was still a representation of that. You know, Gus has been broken for five like, years. <laughs> Gustafson's still a representation of. Hey Gus, why don't you go lose another title fight? He's <laughs> <laughs> the Kenny Florian of two hundred five. You know, like give Gus another title fight. Huh? Oh look, Holly got another title shot. <laughs> She's the Kenny Florian of the. Oh look, Frankie Edgar got another title Frankie shot. Got another title shot, huh? But. Uh, <laughs> You know, I feel like it was just a, it was a nice tune-up fight for John. That's the way I'm going to categorize it. I definitely think this is a tougher fight, but we are talking about the greatest uh, fighter in the world. You know, it seems like Anthony Smith definitely, I mean, like we said early in the show, this guy was 5-6 and six at one point, got knocked out, I think, five times in a row at one point. Now he did turn pro at 16 years old, so a lot of this could have been a case of just a, a kid, you know, being a fighting grown man or like a lot of these We guys. know plenty of those. Yeah. They, 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 My mean, boy Vicka. Yeah. It very well could have been a, a case of that. I'm sure it was. I'm sure also he, I mean, he was fighting at 185 pounds. He's 6'4 to 6'5. Uh, you know, uh, he's cutting a lot of weight. Seems like the second he moved up to 205, uh, seems like everything took off. But his reputation at 185, even at 185 when he was depleting his body, he was known as a guy that kind of plays possum. He makes, gives you that false sense of security that thinks that you, uh, think that you're beating him up. And then out of nowhere, oh, look, you're stiff on the, you're stiff on the mat. And I, and you know, I see a lot of people saying he's not known for, uh, knocking people out or finish them with one punch. I mean, Anthony Smith's got some of the vicious finishes. The Andrew Sanchez finish, the Elvis Mutopchik finish, Rashad. The, uh, the Rashad finish, the Shogun finish. Like, those are brutal. Those, those are brutal finishes. Those are systematic breakdowns. And, and when he, and Anthony gets you, he gets you. So I think uh, in terms of name value, when you look at John's past opponents, this definitely would seem like a complete joke on paper. The guy's got 13 losses. But uh, in terms of the actual mental combined with the skills, combined with the, just the state and in which these guys are at, I see these new guys at 205 are going to pose more threats than the typical names like Gustafsson, Glover, Teixeira, uh, 
fucking St. Prue, fucking... Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So I think uh, those days are numbered. So John's going to start... Be, he's going to start... If he stays at 205, he's going to definitely be fighting these new... These uh, these new uh, these new guys. So it's going to be a good fight. Of course, you know, I got to go with John Jones. He's the GOAT. He's the most well-rounded fighter in the history of the game. Even though he's a partier, you could just tell the guy's very focused. But I do think that Anthony Smith is a tougher fight. That is the one of the more toughest fights that he's had in a while. Just because he's not wrapped up into the emotions like a, a Cormier who all these guys ever they do when they talk about John is steroids, steroids, steroids. He's a cheater. He's a cheater. Steroids. Blah, 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 blah. Here for this fight, there's been none of that talk. Smith actually kind of defended him from the... Uh, from the whole steroid thing, from the Covington thing. I mean, Smith respects him. Uh, seems like things are going a little bit too uh, too smooth, you know, for this fight week. But, of course, John's a better fighter. But I think Anthony Smith does have a good puncher's chance, and I think he's got a good puncher's chance for five rounds. I think that Anthony just mentally is different than a lot of guys than uh, John's fought. But I got to go with the GOAT. He's never lost. He finds an answer for every problem. But I definitely think he might have a little couple sweat moments, a little a little gas moments here and there. John? Just because <laughs> just because John, you know, skill wise, like I said, the most well rounded fighter. But what's John's weakness? His weakness has always been his boxing. Not saying that he's got bad striking, he's knocked out Cormier, but more of a kicker, he's definitely more of an elbow guy. But if he had a weakness, it would have to be his boxing. <laughs> Anybody can get caught, man. And if Anthony Smith catches you, this ain't like getting hit by Gustafsson or uh, fucking St. Prue and all these other guys. Anthony Smith, I know he's got 13 losses on his record. I know he used to be a can, but the current state of Anthony Smith right now is way better than all those guys. So I think John's got his hands full. I think he'll pull out a 50-45-49-46 type of decision. But it's going to be a good fight, closer than the line indicates. Wow, Shaq thinks that Anthony Lionheart Smith lasting all five with the go john bones jones i respectfully disagree my man because when you look at how their styles match up anthony smith is known for being a guy that he's a very slow starter but then you start to you start to gas out on a guy like him you start to huff and puff you're not throwing the same strikes that you did that first and second round then all of a sudden anthony smith is teeing off on you and most likely he's knocking you the fuck out in that third round the issue here is that with a guy like john jones there's no weathering a storm. This ain't Hector Lombard where, you know, let's take the little midgets punches and then the third round, you know who I am yet, Hector? And just go knock him out real quick. There's not going to be any, you know who I am yet, Jones? <laughs> like, there's not going to be any of that. I'll tell you that right now. I mean, the line set at under one and a half for a reason. The reason why is because you watch a fight like Volkan Uzdemir versus Anthony Smith. You remember Volkan ground and, pound, ground and pounding Anthony Smith and you question yourself, well, that was Uzdemir. What would happen if John Jones was on top of him? Would John Jones finish the fight shortly after? Because I don't know if you've seen my boy John Jones with some of the most vicious ground and pound in the history of the sport. I'm not even dating back to Vladimir Matyushenko or Brandon Vera. What about my boy Chael Sonnen? What about my boy Alexander Gustafsson? When John Jones gets on top of you, he starts throwing those elbows. Guys don't tend to get up. And a guy like like Anthony Smith, who's been knocked out eight times or more, I just don't see it ending any differently. So my real question is, is it going to be over or under one and a half? It all comes down to, is John Jones going to take his time like he does from time to time? Because, I mean, you saw that St. Prue fight. I thought he could have finished St. Prue in the first round as well. Took him all five. You know, sometimes he wants to get some more cage time in there. The reason why I don't think that's going to happen here is because he's not coming off a year layoff. This is the first time in a while, Shaq, where he's not coming off an over-year layoff. All these last fights, he's always coming off the layoff here. This is fucking his second fight in like two three months man so he's feeling fresh i think he's gonna be ready to go i think he's gonna be firing on all cylinders 
it's too bad he comes from one of the worst gyms uh, in the sport. I know Jackson Wink used to be known for being one of the best, but the reality is they have like a 10 or 15% win rate, and that's only because they have John Jones. He's the only guy that wins fights on their team. Diego Sanchez is going to pick up a win this weekend. But beside that, John Jones is like the only guy that wins for them. But you could put John Jones in any camp with any coach, and he'll still be the GOAT. So it doesn't matter where he trains. That being said... I got John Jones be a first-round finish, man. I think he comes out here, takes down Anthony Smith, pounds him out, and uh, defends his title, my man. So I will go with the GOAT. And still, Johnny Bones Jones, and I cannot wait to see him take on the new wave of the 205-pound division because all these up-and-coming kids, they might not quite be on the level right now, but they will be in the future. And finally, you know, he doesn't have to go fight Gustafsson a third time. He doesn't have to fucking give all these guys rematches. Let's go take on the new blood and really start a new a new legacy man because this new john jones he already cleared out all the legends the shoguns the rashads the glovers all those guys the machitas the gustafsons the cormiers now let's take on the new generation and i cannot wait to see that i got john jones via vicious ground and pound finish well now we got to hit up kyle marley for the big marley minute and joining us now on the big marley minute is big marley himself kyle it's going down this saturday the first title fight pay-per-view of 2019 and we got the goat dude can't wait I, i've been waiting for this week for a while i've been feeling good about this card got some solid solid leans and uh i plan on making some good money hopefully that 50k is mine well i mean look right off the bat you got john jones he's got the 9600 dollars salary do you think he's gonna cover it this time i mean often i've seen him go the full five round distance but we've also seen him go out there and smash dc smash gustafson you think he comes out here and finishes anthony smith yeah i think he does i think this is his easiest matchup in a long time and i don't see one area that smith can beat him in so i'm definitely going to pay the 9600 more so for cash he's going to be a lock in my cash lineup that's for sure uh but i think you can kind of get away from him in gpp's just in case he's not the highest scoring guy on the card. Maybe he does take it a little easy and he scores only like 10x his salary. If he gets 96 points, he's probably not going to be on that $50,000 lineup. Um, so I'm definitely not going to go all in on him in GPPs. But I could see him scoring 110, 120 just because this fight is so easy and he should be able to do whatever he wants. And I think he's going to get the fight to the ground and end it with some ground and pound elbow. So that's how I see it going. I will be spinning up for him and... I mean, probably close to half my GPPs or so, but that's the spot to get away from them if you want to. But you got to lock them in your cash lineup. Take the 100-plus points uh, in the easy win. Uh, I think he gets this and still. You think there's going to be a scenario where some people are trying to be sneaky and put Anthony Smith in their lineups because he is so cheap at 6,600. That could give him an opportunity to put all the other big favorites in there. Yeah, for, I mean, I'm going to have like – at least one Smith line, if I'm sure. And I, I think Smith is fine in cash as well because he is so cheap. We don't need six wins in cash. You could just take that loss, and he helps you pay up for other people. So I think Smith is fine in cash as well. Um, but, yeah, I, this fight's going to be so owned in GPPs that you can kind of stay away from both sides uh, and just let people soak up the Jones and Smith ownership, and then maybe the winner doesn't score super highly, and you could pass up probably 70% of the field that way. Um, it's just either way is such a great play in cash since it is a possible five rounds. Either way you want to go is fine. You can even stack it as well. So co-main event in the evening, the welterweight title is on the line. T. Wood is taking on Kamara Usman. 
It's not often you see $7,500 next to Usman, but on the flip side, you're not going up against RDA or Damian Maya anymore, Kyle. You're going up against the great Tyron Woodley. So I got to know, how do you approach this fight from a DraftKings perspective? Uh, I think it's another one we can. I think this is like the weird situation where you can really fade both title fights in GPPs, and that that's going to make you super contrarian right there. Um, if but if you are going to use this fight, Usman's my pick. I, I do like him to win this fight. Uh, I could just see him scoring like you know seventy five points in a win because I don't think he's going to have a whole lot of takedowns, and he's going to be super chalky too. I think he's going to be uh, first, second highest owned guy on the whole card. Uh, people are going to see that he scored 176 last fight against Dos Anjos, and they're going to be going after that. Um, and now he's got some odds value as well. So he's going to be mega chalk, and that's why I say you can get away from him. But he is one of my favorite underdogs on the whole card. So he's going to be my guy. I'll be using him. And then Woodley, he'll be more of a hedge for me, just so he doesn't bury me. I'm going to have to have a couple lineups. Um because he could go out there and knock Usman out in the first round. If that happens at $8,700, then he'll be on the winning lineup. So I'm going to have shots on both these guys. But again, I think if you're making like one to five lineups and you're trying to be tricky, but you're still using like good plays, uh, I think you could fade these two title fights. And that right there makes you contrarian no matter who else is on your lineup. Wiley Zhang's taking on Tisha Torres. Very evenly matched fight on paper. The question is, does it actually play out as an evenly matched fight, or do you think someone has a significant edge in this fight? No, I think it's going to be real pretty evenly matched. I see this being a close split decision, and I'm going to take Torres here. Uh, looking for dogs, I think she's one of them. She's going to be, uh, I, I don't know, I just see her being you know a little bit faster. She's going to keep it on the outside, and it's just going to be one of those close fights where, at the end, you're not going to complain who wins. Um, so I kind of like both sides, but I really, I would rather just fade this fight altogether. I don't see the winner scoring highly. I think it's probably like a, a 70 or so point decision win for whoever gets it done. But I would say Zhang has the higher ceiling. I think if anyone's going to finish this fight, it's more likely Zhang. Um, so she's probably the better GPP play. I think either one of them could be used for cash because it should go three rounds. You'll get three rounds worth of action. I just see it being a striking match and not a very highly scoring one. So uh, I'll take Tisha by split decision, close fight. Cody Garbrandt's making his return. He's taking on Pedro Munoz. Word on the street is that Garbrandt isn't as motivated as he used to be, but is that enough for Pedro Munoz to overcome the big speed deficit here? I mean, it could be, and it looks like the line is kind of going that way. So the more the line moves, the more popular Munoz is going to be. Um, I liked him more actually when he was like plus 145 because I don't think he was going to be super chalky then. Now that he's going to be more chalky, I think Garbrandt might be a sneaky play. Uh, I think he is going to have the better boxing. I think he'll have the wrestling to keep us on the feet. If he's not diminished and his chin's not gone, I think he should win a stand-up fight. So I'm going to pick Cody to win this fight. I think he's going to get it done. Three-round striking match. Um, I don't really see either guy getting takedowns here. Uh, and I just think he's going to have the better stand-up. So as long as he doesn't get clipped, I'm going to have to take Co Cody here. And the lower his odds get, the more I'm liking him on DraftKings because I don't think he's going to be very popular. Diego Sanchez has taken on Mickey Gall. It's interesting to see a guy like Diego Sanchez. He's fought all the big names in the sport. Man, this is the most inexperienced guy he's fought since maybe his regional days. How do you see it going down? I kind of like Diego here. Um, I, I just think Gall's best shot at getting a win 
is knocking Diego out, which he's not a striker, so I don't see that going down, or submitting Diego. Diego's never been submitted. So I think the pace from Diego and maybe the top control time is just going to get this done. I see him putting up, you know, 70 to 80 point decision win. If he gets it done, it would be around that scoring, I think. I don't see him finishing goal either. I just see him getting it done on the scorecards, being the more the more experienced guy, um, and just putting putting the pace on Gall that he's not going to give up for 15 minutes. So I think he's going to get it done. Uh, I think Gall is a somewhat sneaky GPP play because I don't think he's going to be very popular. And if he does win, I think it's got to be by finish. So I think he's decent GPP play, but I like Diego in all formats. Um, he's only 7,100. So if, even if he does go out there and get a 70 point win. I'm okay with that. I mean, we do we do need underdogs, and just that seventy that seven thousand dollar price tag helps you get up to guys like John Jones. So, last but not least, I know you remember last week with Tiago Maheda Santos knocking out Jan Blakovic in the third round. Well, now the significant other of Tiago Maheda Santos, Pollyanna Vienna, she's got a fight here. She's she's ninety two hundred on DraftKings. You think she's going to come out here and get a finish as well? Yeah, I am picking her by submission, but I don't know, man. If she can't get this fight to the ground, she might be in some trouble. And I don't see her having like a super high ceiling here. Uh, I think if she does get it to the ground, she'd probably lock up a submission somewhat quickly. Uh, I don't see her throwing a whole lot of ground and pound. So maybe she's limited to like 100 points or so, uh, which is solid for 9,200. I would just rather pay up for Jones if I can, um, or go down to somebody else. I don't think she's a must at all. So I, I actually think my preferred play here is Cyphers. If she can keep this fight standing, she's a live dog. And if she wins this fight, it doesn't really matter what she scores. I think she has a good chance of being on that first place lineup. I also think she's a good pivot away from Diego. Um, and Diego's going to be popular. So I kind of like that pivot away for a hundred dollars cheaper. She's the cheapest underdog I'm really looking to go to. And if she can make this go all three rounds, I think she's got a shot to win. So um, preferred play is Cyphers, but my pick is Viana by submission. And it almost slipped my mind. I completely forgot to ask you about the man himself, Johnny Walker, who's taking on Misha Serkunov. And I have a feeling that someone's getting finished in this fight. Which way are you leaning? Yeah, I think someone's probably getting finished as well. Um, I'm going to take Johnny Walker here. He's my free bet of the week. Uh, all my paid picks can be found on Best Fight Picks. I got three plus money plays that I'm feeling real good about. I'm gonna think I'm gonna sweep this card and win huge. So uh, I'm looking forward to those. But my free play of the week, Johnny Walker. I got one unit at minus 130 odds. I think he's just gonna knock Serkinov out. Uh, we've seen the channel Serkinov, uh, and that's just not gonna last against a guy who's throwing power like Walker is. I mean, this guy's got serious power, and he throws he throws heavies with everything he's got. So I think one of them is going to clip, and it's only going to take one to put him down. He's my pick, but I think Serkinov's a decent DraftKings play because Walker should be real popular at that 8,400, and everyone is on that recency bias for Walker, so they're kind of going to be off Serkinov. You can get Serkinov probably under 20 15% ownership, and if he wins, it's probably going to be by a finish, and I think he would score highly in the process. I just don't think he's going to get it done. I'm going to take Walker by knockout. Well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. It's going down this Saturday, UFC 235, John Jones versus Anthony Smith. They can follow you at Big Marley 3. They can get your write-ups and your bets at bestfightpicks.com. That's right, man. Let's get it. I'm feeling really good about it. Um, three and up week, all plus money. Let's get it. Yes, sir. We'll speak soon, Kyle. And that's why Kyle Marley is the DraftKings guy 
for half the battle. Well, Shaq, it's going down this Saturday, and we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC 235? My fight to watch is going to be Cody Garbrandt versus Pedro Munoz. I mean, how could that not be the fight? Pedro Munoz bring, brings it every time. Garbrandt's coming off two bad title defeats, and I know he needs to get back on track. His career is riding on this. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he lost if, if he retired, so that's my fight to watch. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember the last time I missed a Cody Garbrandt or Pedro Munoz fight. For me, my fight to watch is Zabit Magomed Sharapov versus Jeremy Stevens. A lot of people are saying that this kid, Zabit Magomed Sharapov, is a future world champion. He's taking on a guy in Jeremy Stevens who is a perennial top 10 guy who's known for his vicious KO power. If Zabit can get past Jeremy Stevens, talk about a future top 5 guy. Talk about a potential future title challenger. And for Jeremy Stevens, he gets right back in the mix with a win here for that reason. Zabit versus Jeremy is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC 235? My fighter to watch is actually going to be Edmund Shabazian. Look, the kid's 21 years old, and he beat Darren Stewart. It seems like he's very immature. I got a lot of questions about him. I'm really interested to see how he looks against a guy like Charles Bird, you know, a, a guy that I would consider a tough, uh, not gatekeeper match, but like a tough uh, water, like a, a watermark test, man, just to see. Benchmark. Uh, a benchmark test, yeah. I think uh, that's. The, I think he's my fighter to watch. I want to see how good he really is. My fighter to watch is Johnny Walker. Look, a lot of people are sitting here acting like this guy's all hype. I completely disagree. I've watched this kid pay his dues on the regional scene, make it to the UFC, and now he's going out there. He's not just beating guys. He's knocking them out in devastating, vicious, brutal, stiff fashion. And I cannot wait to see if that continues here. All eyes are on Johnny Walker, and for that reason, he is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, it's going down this Saturday, UFC 235, John Jones versus Anthony Smith. I cannot wait. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. You can get our plays at bestfightpicks.com. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Hook up those five-star reviews on iTunes. We sincerely appreciate every single person that supports us. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.